7.51 a.m. on Friday, January 12th. The middle of the morning rush hour, Washington, D.C., in the LaFont Plaza. He emerged from the station, took his place against the wall beside a trash basket, and by most measures, he was nondescript. Youngish guy, T-shirt, Washington Nationals, baseball cap. Carrying a small case from him, with him, he opened it. Out of the case, a violin. Placed the open case at his feet, threw a couple bucks in of seed money, and then proceeded to play. In the next 43 minutes, he performed six classical pieces. 1,097 people passed by. No one knew it, but the fiddler, standing against the wall, sawing away, is one of the finest classical musicians in the world, playing some of the most elegant, beautiful music ever written on one of the most valuable violins ever made, worth $3.5 million, made by Stradivarius, if that means anything to you. His performance was arranged by the Washington Post as an experiment in context, in perception, and in priorities, as well as an unblinking assessment of public taste in a setting like this, at an inconvenient time, would beauty transcend. If a great musician plays great music but no one hears it, was he really any good? <laughs> he was. He is. His name is Joshua Bell. International virtuoso, child prodigy, Acknowledged as the best classical musician in America. Sawing away, begging for money. And he was brilliant, as he always is. He had recently played at Carnegie Hall, selling out 3,671 seats just a few nights before, raking in $393,000. The final hall for his 43 minutes in the subway, $32.17. Some people chucked pennies in. If we can't take time out of our lives to stay a moment and to listen 
to one of the best musicians on earth play some of the best music ever written. If the surge of modern light so overpowers us that we are deaf and blind to something like that, then what else are we missing out on? Those 1,097 people missed it. You can go watch it on YouTube. It's almost hilarious. An amazing gift went unappreciated. An amazing gift went unenjoyed. Unused. A resource, you might say, a gift unaccessed, untapped. In this section of Scripture, Final talk of Jesus. He's huddled his disciples up. This is his final talk with these men that he loves. It began over a meal in chapter 13. That's why we're calling it the farewell discourse. He has highlighted for them, beginning in chapter 15, the importance of living lives that bear fruit. Bear fruit. That grace, once it acts upon us, once grace transforms us, it's never idle in our lives. It's always intending to disrupt and to get something done. Jesus wants to produce something out of the people that he's transformed by his grace. What's he want to produce? He wants to produce fruit. He's the vine. We're the branches. We abide in him. We, we embrace these secrets that we talked about. Prayer. And loving one another. And as we embrace these secrets of abiding in Christ and loving one another and praying, then we start to bear fruit as he's called us to bear fruit. But then we also talked the last couple weeks about Jesus giving it to us straight and saying, listen, there's going to be obstacles. This isn't going to be easy. There's going to be obstacles to bearing fruit. It's going to be hard. The Christian life is hard. And in view of the enormous challenge that he has laid before the disciples, they're in need of some encouragement. We ended last week, it was a little abrupt, but didn't we feel like we needed some encouragement after talking about the nature of the obstacles that we're going to face in bearing fruit? But we ended by saying it's endurable. So Jesus is going to end his farewell discourse having spoken about the secrets to bearing fruit, having spoken about the obstacles to bearing fruit. He will end by telling us all the resources that he has given us for bearing fruit. Are the gifts that God has given to us for bearing fruit going unappreciated in our lives. What does it look like for you and me as Christians to appreciate the resources that God has given to us? What does it look like to access and take advantage of the gifts that you've been given how can we tap in to God's resources for bearing fruit with our lives? How can we avoid leaving God's incredible resources untapped?
Wouldn't that be a wouldn't that be disappointing? To help us understand this text, I've categorized the resources that God has given to us in two categories. And I've categorized them as gifts, because that's what they are. In this section of Scripture, chapter verses 4, the end of 4 through 15, we're going to talk about the gift of the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then in verses 16 through 33, which we'll tackle next week, we're going to talk about the gift of the Son. Jesus is going to talk to the disciples about the gift that He is, the gift of Jesus. So today's sermon title, Resources for Bearing Fruit, Part 1. Next week, Resources for Bearing Fruit, Part 2. Good? You guys are with me? You're quiet. All right, let's deal with verse 7. Some of you made sounds when I read this verse. I heard some groans. I heard some grunts. I heard some things when I said this. This is the verse. Nevertheless, after he said, sorrows filled your heart because I told you you're going away. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Pause. It is to your advantage that I leave you. Is that hard for you to contemplate? Jesus, you're with me, you're going to leave me, and you say it's going to be better. We've got to think deeply about these things. Haven't you ever had this thought? I'm reading through the Old Testament now, my Bible reading plan, and I'm reading in Exodus. And in Exodus, you read how God led his people. You know what I'm talking about. Fire by night, pillar of fire by night, pillar, uh, uh, and a cloud by day. So, so if the cloud stayed still, the people stay still. If the cloud moves, you follow the cloud. If the fire stays still, you stay. If the fire moves, you go. I have been so jealous of that. That seems like that would make my life so much easier. God, where are we going today? Cloud stays put. Guess we're staying here. Get up the next morning, cloud move. Oh, okay, let's go. I would love to, to experience the presence of God in that way. So clear, right? You haven't thought that. I have thought at times that it would be easier to be a disciple who was sitting right next to Jesus, eating with Jesus. After he finishes eating, he raises someone else from the dead. He, he does another miracle, and then he does these teachings, these powerful teachings. That seems like it would be so much easier to live the Christian life if I was standing right next to Jesus. You haven't thought that? Don't we tend to think it was easier for the disciples who were eyewitnesses? Don't we tend to think it must have been easier? 
They, they, they watch his life. They listen to his teachings. They watch his miracles. To actually see and hear Jesus must make following him easier. Yet Jesus said our situation now is better than that of his disciples when he was walking on the earth. Your situation is better. How can he say that? That's difficult to embrace. It's because we don't understand the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's because we underappreciate We undervalue. We don't tap into the resources that God has given us. And one of his greatest gifts was giving us the Spirit. When Jesus left them, the disciples were finally, they eventually were finally able to see what he was talking about. Christ was going to his coronation. After his mission to save sinners was complete, he returned home to heaven. And he sat down on the right hand of God and began to rule forever and ever as our great high priest. And that's where he is right now. And that's where he will always be. R.C. Sproul shared a great illustration that I read. And I just thought it was so good I wanted to reshare it. He said... You've seen the victory celebrations that take place every time there's a presidential election. You you know what I'm talking about. The candidate supporters are all gathered together on election night, and they're waiting for the results. And as the results are coming in, and it seems to be going their way, they pan the camera, and there's like this, this happiness, this excitement taking place. The excitement's building. And then finally, when the outcome is certain, the other candidate sends their concession. The, the opponent offers concession. And when that happens... When that concession comes, the party begins, right? You've seen this. The balloons falling, confetti flying, the songs are playing, the champagne bottles uncorked. Now imagine, and then the candidate steps forward to offer their acceptance speech, their victory speech. Now imagine when the candidates stepped forward, they grabbed their notes, they looked out at all of their supporters and said, this is incredible. This, is, this celebration is so much fun. I think I'm just going to stay here. And we're just going to stay in this mode of party mode. And I don't think I'll ever go to Washington. <laughs> what would their supporters say? Oh, yes, you will. Oh, yes, you will. That's why we elected you. We want you in Washington working for us. Christ, at this moment in time, talking with the disciples, is going to a much more important place than Washington, D.C. He's headed to the right hand of God. It was better for him to leave than to stay there with his disciples in Jerusalem because there the resurrected Jesus would rule and reign in power forever and ever and his first act of power was to send the Holy Spirit. 
Let me summarize our advantage in this way. I heard J.D. Greer say this. We're talking about our advantage, right? Verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage. Here's a summary of the sermon. The Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Now let's remember. Write that one down if you're a note taker. That's it. We got to remember though. And I just and I started sharing this when I when I got up. The call to bear fruit is set in the context of being sent. It's 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 set in the context of mission. Jesus keeps talking about how he sent the disciples into the, into the world. He keeps saying, even as the Father sent me into the world. So he's talking about being sent. The Father sent me into the world on a mission to save sinners. And then he says, and I've sent you into the world to continue to pro- proclaim the good news that broken and lost sinners can find salvation in Jesus. That's the, that's the message. Remember, in the end of 14, when he said, the prince of this world is coming. He's coming for me. He's coming in opposition. He said, rise, get up. Let's go. Let's go meet him head on. This is a call to arms. The urgency of Jesus that we bear fruit is connected to spreading his fame. It's connected to winning people out of the world and on to Team Jesus. What every Christian needs what every, what every person needs is Christ, a community, and a cause. Christ, a community, and a cause. As, a, as Christians, we have Christ, we have a community, and we have a cause. What's the cause? It's bearing fruit. And Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit whom he refers to as the capital H helper. And, and he starts right there in the end of verse 15. He says that the Holy Spirit came to, if you caught this, this little phrase, not bear fruit, bear something else. Witness. The Holy Spirit came to bear witness. And then Jesus said, and you also are going to bear witness. The essence of bearing fruit, this is how we've des- described it. Bearing fruit is the image of, For the good results coming from the life of a believer, bringing benefit to the lives of others, and advancing the work of God in the world. That's what bearing fruit means. Jesus sums this up as bearing witness. It's proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the world with our words and our lives. That's what it means to bear fruit. And Jesus says, in this task, you will not be alone. We could never accomplish this. We can't accomplish this on our own. But we're not alone. Jesus sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's with us. So the question becomes, do you believe that? Or maybe you would say, of course I believe that. Well, let me ask you in another way. Is the gift of the Holy Spirit being unappreciated in your life? Is it, being, is it a resource untapped or is it a resource accessed? A gift being used day in, day out, moment in, moment out. 
and awareness of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is always 24-7 at work, bearing witness, testifying to Jesus. And in this section, Jesus is going to expound on the testifying, bearing witness, evangelistic ministry of the Holy Spirit. Specifically, here's the the organizing question. What is the work of the Holy Spirit in helping us to bear fruit? What does the the Holy Spirit do? What is the work of the Holy Spirit in helping us to bear fruit? In other words, if the Holy Spirit is a resource, how is He a resource to us for bearing fruit? Or maybe more specifically, what is the work of the Holy Spirit in bearing witness about Jesus? The Holy Spirit does three things. He preaches, he counsels, he disciples. He preaches, he counsels, he disciples. Let's look at all three of them. The Holy Spirit preaches. I'm taking this from verses 5 through 7. I'm categorizing it as preaching. Jesus said in verse 7, If I don't go away, the helper doesn't come. That's a crucial saying, if you want to understand the Spirit's work. If Jesus doesn't go away, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. Now, Jesus, let's just deal with this for a second. Jesus is not implying that two persons of the Godhead can't be co-present. He's not saying, i got to go away so the Spirit can be present, because the three persons of the Godhead can't be present at the same time. That's ridiculous. An understanding of the Trinity of God means that all three persons of the Trinity are ever-present. This is one of the most Trinitarian passages of Scripture that you'll ever read. He's talking about the Father sent me, and, and the Spirit is going to bear witness of me. This is Father, Son, and Spirit, God in three persons. The crucial phrase that Jesus uses here is the going away. If I don't go away, he doesn't, he's not so much emphasizing like a spatial separation as he's emphasizing go away, meaning spiritual exaltation. This is not spatial separation. This is what he's implying is Jesus exalted at the right hand of God. His work is, he's, he's finished. He, the work on the cross is finished. He made a way for sinners that those who believe in Jesus' name will be saved. He, he, he accomplished it, and then he went and sat at the right hand of the Father, spiritually exalted. Christ goes away through his death and his resurrection and his ascension. He goes to the Father's presence, and that going makes the ministry of the Holy Spirit possible because if Jesus doesn't go away, then the Holy Spirit doesn't come, making his ministry impossible. The Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. And the Holy Spirit, and we've got to come to grips with this, church, the Holy Spirit is not some vague impartation of spiritual energy. Like if we could just get the music just right, and if we could get the lights right, we could create kind of an environment where we could experience the energy of the Holy Spirit. That's not what Jesus is talking about. The Holy Spirit 
is triumphantly proclaiming the triumph of Jesus and all that he's done to save sinners. We got to get into that. We got we to climb up inside that. We've got we've to learn to appreciate the gift and not just pass by. Like that day, people pass by. Joshua Bell, there, playing, unappreciated. Are we recognizing the Spirit of God and His presence inside you as a gift to be accessed, a gift to be appreciated? The work of the Holy Spirit is the unleashing of the powers of the promised kingdom of God into the world. Remember how John described John the Baptist? It's been a while now. We started this Gospel of John a while ago. But remember John the Baptist? Anybody remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist, he was like chapter 1. But John described him as bearing witness. That he came to bear witness. About whom? Jesus. He came to bear witness about Jesus. So John the Baptist's ministry as a preacher was to point to Jesus. That's what he did. The Holy Spirit is like John the Baptist in that he preaches to point to Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is unlike John the Baptist, or I should say it this way, John the Baptist is unlike the Holy Spirit. Because all John the Baptist can do is point to Jesus. All a modern preacher can do is point to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus, and brings people to Jesus. No preacher can do that. No person can do that. If you are in Christ, if you've come to Christ, the Holy Spirit pointed Jesus out to you and then brought you to Jesus. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God, He pointed Jesus out to you, showed you your need for him, and then he pulled you right in to Jesus. No other person can do that. Praise God. If you're in Christ, that's the Holy Spirit's work in you. We should not appreciate that. (laughs) The Holy Spirit proclaims and imparts. See, the problem for the disciples, and Jesus points it out right here, is, is that they're not focused. Their focus isn't the right place. So he's saying, I told you where you're going, and none of you asked me where I am going. Actually, completely accurately, Paul or Peter did ask him where he was going just a couple of chapters ago. You might have missed that. He said, I'm going away. Peter said, where are you going? So Peter did ask him. But they're so oblivious that it's like nobody ever asked and never got an answer to the question. The point here is that they're so focused on themselves that they can't imagine the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I know some people like that. So focused on myself. I'm so focused on what's going on here that I won't lift my eyes and see Jesus and see the Holy Spirit testifying to Jesus and the power and the presence and the work of the Spirit of God in me because I'm so focused on myself. We miss out because we're looking in the wrong direction. Here's the, the beauty of this. If you've ever felt like bearing fruit for Jesus was hard, the, the reminder that Jesus is giving us here is it's not all up to you. It's not all up to us. It's not, we can't do it. That's the point. That's why he's giving us the Holy Spirit. 
That's why he's, he's blessed us with the Spirit of God. Successful evangelism for you and me. If we're going to be successful, don't determine success based on results. Don't do it that way because you can't control the results. You don't have anything to do with whom God saves. You can't do anything. All you can do is faithfully sow the seed and may God do what seems good to him. So all we can do. So if you want to know how we define success around here, it's by actually planting seeds. It's by actually living a life and, and using words that actually talk about Jesus and tell the story of Jesus and spread the fame of Jesus. And whether God saves or not, that's a sovereign act of God. That's a sovereign grace of God. But the Holy Spirit, you'll know they're saved when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and helps them to see and then draws him, draws them to himself. And end up to us. He's the great senior partner in the work. The Holy Spirit's the big dog in the work of evangelism. We're just little, little nothings. <laughs> and God can work in the hardest heart and turn them to Jesus. Hasn't he done that? Haven't you seen him do that? I never thought I'd see some of you here. <laughs> Isn't there some people, there are some people in my life right now that I can't imagine them being a Christian. I can't imagine it. God can do it. Will you be faithful with the gift of the Spirit working in you to just be faithful, to live and bear fruit for Jesus? And leave the results to God. It's not up to you. Holy Spirit preaches. Holy Spirit counsels. Now take this from verses 8 through 11. The Holy Spirit counsels by applying his message specifically and personally to the hearers. As a preacher, I'm amazed by this. Because I can preach the same sermon and then afterwards people will come up to talk to me and the things that you got out of the sermon are so different than the person that's standing next to you that wants to tell me what they got out of the sermon. How do you explain that? I, it's the same outline. It's the same, you know, I, it, you all heard the same words. How can that be? How it is, is the Holy Spirit is taking the, the truth of God's word and putting it and speaking it into people's hearts all over the room, speaking what he wants you to hear. Isn't that amazing? I thank God for that. Preaching is nothing. This is why it's so important that preachers preach the word of God. Because if you don't preach the word of God, what's the Holy Spirit going to work with? The, the comedy act that's going on up there in front? Thankfully, the Holy Spirit will work with even that. The point is, though, the Holy Spirit takes the word and puts it, pins it, and speaks it to your heart, to your heart, and to your heart, and to your heart, and to your heart. He's counseling in this way. And this counseling ministry, Jesus says, includes conviction. Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict. Convict here means literally to show someone their sin. Well, we don't like that. I don't like that. But this is what conviction means. It means literally to show someone their sin and call them to repentance. 
Repentance, turn away from it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's the work of conviction. Convict means to expose, to pull back the layers, to see what's really there. In, in chapter 3, verse 20, John said it this way, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed, convicted. This is what the Spirit of God does. He convicts. How does he convict? He convicts the world concerning sin. He convicts the world concerning righteousness. He convicts the world concerning judgment. What he does is he exposes the guilt that exists in people's heart who don't believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit exposes that hidden guilt that we refuse to own up to on our own. The Bible talks about this over and over. Remember when Peter, after Jesus had ascended and sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Peter began to preach and we're told that 3,000 people came to the Word and he, he preaches this Word and it tells that the Spirit of God exposes people's hearts. It tell, the Scripture tells us they were cut to the heart. That's what the Spirit of God does. He cuts people to the heart. And then they said, what do we do? What do we do? And he said, repent and believe. And then they repented and believed and the experience of joy of salvation came to them. That's what the Spirit of God does. He doesn't want to leave you in that place, but he wants to convict you to help you see your need for Jesus. But we're so suppressing that. We're so busy suppressing. The world is suppressing their sense of need of God, their sense of conviction. I don't like the way that feels, so we press it down, press it down, press it down. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit can, unlike any other person, can expose that. And convict that. Why? So you can find hope in Jesus. So what Jesus is talking about here is how the Holy Spirit applies the work of Jesus to people in the world who sin without any real contrition. Any real sorrow. We push that sense of guilt down. We, we regularly sin we feel bad about it, but then we look around us and we say, mm, everybody else doing that too. <laughs> I don't feel so bad. They're worse than me. Okay, I'm, a, I'm okay, I'm okay. And we push it down, push it down, push it down. And the Spirit of God, if, in His kindness, brings that to the surface, exposes that. But we don't, we don't want to do that. What drives the behavior of the world, which is what Jesus is talking about, the world in rebellion against him, what drives the behavior of the world is the morality of the world. So we don't, we don't, we don't have this objective ability to analyze ourselves for, the, for sin, for wrongdoing. Because we, we are shaped by the culture that we live in. And so... So the morality is a word that comes from the mores, the concept of the mores of a social group, our behavioral patterns. People aren't concerned about doing what is objectively right because right is deemed by what is acceptable to the culture. And that's always shifting and changing. We listen every day to the voices of culture all around us that tell us what the world thinks is incorrect, what the world thinks is correct, what is socially acceptable, what isn't socially acceptable. And then for a few minutes, we come on Sunday morning 
and we hear the Word of God preached. And we know that the message of the Word of God and the world don't line up. But the discomfort of that only lasts while we're sitting here. Until the Holy Spirit takes the Word. Unless the Holy Spirit takes the Word and pierces our souls with it and convicts us of sin, we don't really pay attention to what He's doing. Real conviction. I'm talking about real conviction. A real exposure is an experience of repentance and forgiveness of, before God. It's not just praying a prayer. It's not just going to a Bible study. It's not just coming to church. It's being brought to your knees, so to speak, in conviction by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's like I see all the wrong. I see what I've tried to suppress. I feel this guilt. I feel this shame. And it's all exposed before me. And, and God and the Holy Spirit expose that and then shows you your need for Jesus and offers you Jesus. And then you reach out and grab hold of Jesus and there's your salvation. There's your joy. There's your hope. Eternal. Life in His name. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He exposes us. He strips us of our self-righteousness. He shows us the utter inadequacy of our own behavior to atone for our sins. It shows us how we needed an alien power, an alien righteousness. We needed someone else to take care of the problem that was ours. And He shows us Jesus. And it drives us to Him. Too often we rationalize our rebellion against God. And when we do that, we miss out spiritually on what the Holy Spirit is offering. What the Holy Spirit is exposing. Is there any rebellion in your life right now that you're rationalizing? You're explaining it away. Stop and let the Holy Spirit Expose it and show you Jesus, the one who truly covers your shame and your guilt. Holy Spirit counsels. This is the work of the Spirit. We said that he preaches. We said that he counsels. We, I said that he disciples. I take this from verses 12 through 16. A few more minutes. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them. When the spirit of truth comes, though, so after Jesus is spiritually exalted, the spirit of truth, the helper, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to guide you into all the truth. For he doesn't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus, what are you talking about? The Holy Spirit disciples us. So not only does he convict us, he brings us to Jesus. And then the ongoing work of growing into the image of Jesus is a work of the Spirit in us. You can't grow apart from the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you might say, is in charge of the follow-up ministry. He doesn't speak on his own authority. He speaks whatever he hears. He guides us into all truth. Notice the Holy Spirit's ministry is a ministry of reporting. 
He's not, he's not coming up with new ideas. He just reports what he hears. What does he hear? He hears all about the, the Word. He hears all about the Word pointing to Jesus. He hears all about the Word reflecting on Jesus. He hears all about the work of Jesus, which is what the Bible all points to, what Jesus accomplished to save sinners. And so the Holy Spirit is constantly and continually reporting on the truth of God's Word. What an, what an uncreative ministry. How... how is this a word? Uninnovative. I don't get to say anything on my own. Can I create like a little bit more? No, he's reporting and he's happily reporting on the work of Jesus to save sinners. He's not writing. That's why we don't find new books of the Bible. So how does he do it? He takes the word of God and applies it to our hearts. This is why Christians, we need Christ, we need a community, we need a cause. We will not grow apart from the Bible. You can't grow apart from the Bible because the Bible is what the Holy Spirit takes and applies to your heart and disciples you. This is why the Bible is so important. Bearing fruit happens when the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and applies it to our hearts. I read about this uh, dust storm that happened. It was, it's considered black, the worst dust storm ever in America. It was called Black Sunday in 1935. High winds through the Dust Bowl uh, hit Texas and Oklahoma the hardest. But like 300,000 tons of topsoil were displaced in this storm. You go to look at pictures of this. You can't see a thing. I mean, it's just dust everywhere. And I heard Donald Whitney share an illustration that the greatest dust storm the world has ever seen would be when Christians take their Bibles off the shelves and blow the dust off them. It'll be bigger than Black Sunday. Now, I'm saying that to be funny, and I'm saying it to be humorous, but doesn't that hit a little bit? Doesn't that hit? Doesn't that? In other words, if, if the Holy Spirit disciples us through the Word of God and it's just sitting on the shelf, we're never reading it. We're never, the Holy Spirit is not, is not discipling us if we're not engaged with God's Word, right? This is why we need the Word of God. We don't only read the Word of God when you come to church on Sunday. You gotta read it just a little bit, even a little bit. He'll take that little bit and he'll apply it to your heart. And you'll grow and you'll change and you'll love Jesus and you'll love others and you'll bear fruit. But the word is gonna be an important part of bearing fruit. So you ask yourself the question what priority does, does the intake of Scripture have in your life right now? All right, let me get the band back up here. We started out by talking about a gift unappreciated, right? Who's with me? I'm closing this thing down, all right? A gift unappreciated. Now I'm going to tell you a story about a gift used. A gift used. You ever thought, you ever do this? I, I like to do this, but you don't want to say it impolitely at Christmas, like what your favorite gift was. But you can't say it at dinner because they're all sitting there. But you do. You think about this. Like, what are the best gifts? And then you can think about not only what is the best gift that I ever received, but what's a gift that I really, 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 really used? Like, 
it was, it was the best because of how useful it was. It was the best because of its utility. Well, recently I was making a smoothie, which I do all the time. I make smoothies in my Vitamix. You guys know Vitamix? They're expensive. I made a smoothie and, and, and took the blender off and sat it down and the smoothie, I looked down and the smoothie was all over me. Just, the whole thing just all over me. I was like, what the heck? What happened? The, the blender cracked and it wasn't working. And I said, wow, got to fix that problem. How long have I had this thing? So I went upstairs. I, I keep a filing cabinet of like owner's manuals. So I, I went up to the owner's manual. I pulled out the Vitamix and the receipt was attached to it. Eight years old. So I started doing the math. Eight years old and it makes in our house about, it's used at least three times a day. At least three times a day. So eight years times 365 days times three times a day. That means it's been used somewhere around 9,000 times before it let me down. <laughs> then I also researched, you know, a Vitamix turns 250 miles per hour. So I thought, how many rotations does this, this thing got on it? So I started doing the math because it's about 1,000 revolutions per minute, 1,000 RPMs. So I calculated. Before it broke, over eight years, I got 9 million rotations on that thing. This thing is useful, guys. It's useful in a way that I really like it and I could talk about it like this passionately. Amy said, make sure you don't do an infomercial for Vitamix. I'm not. All I'm, all I'm saying is that, and they cost a lot. Like I had to re, just to replace the blender cost me $160 just to replace the, yeah. But I'm, I'm trusting that $160 is well spent because I'm going to get another 9 million RPMs out of this thing. What's my point? I use that thing over and over again so much so that I don't even think about it, but it, I value this. And as soon as I couldn't have it anymore, I needed to find a way to fix the situation. Oh, that the Holy Spirit, as a gift, would be used like my Vitamix. Not used in the sense that we use and abuse, but used in the sense that access. I, every day, I don't even think about it. Like, I, I just, I have the Holy Spirit, and I'm praying every day, Spirit of God, would you fill me with yourself, and would you cause your fruit to ripen in my life? You pray that every day. We're praying that. We're asking. We're accessing. We're, we're looking to God and appreciating all the resources that he has given us, namely the Holy Spirit, to bear fruit. Amen.